White Rocket Entertainment. It's the Avengers Assemble podcast from the Jarvis heads of AvengersAssemble.net. Now here's your host, Van Allen Plexico. All right. Hello and welcome to the White Rocket podcast brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment, along with all of our great patrons via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico. And tonight I'm joined by two longtime guests, two gentlemen that those of you who have listened to the show for low this past decade, this is our 10th anniversary this year, believe it or not, will recognize very quickly. I'm joined by Jim Yelton of Midnight Entertainment and video producer and author David Wright. Welcome back aboard, guys. Yay! Thanks for having us. <laughs> Just cheering for yourself. That was the I'm here (laughs) under protest uh, uh, greeting there, Jim. I hope that's not the case. No, no. That was the, it's been too long. Yes, it has. I'm excited to be on this show because I remember hearing the two of you get together to react to these previous phase announcements from years ago. I know that y'all had some excellent predictions. Jim, you had some excellent insight and, uh, pretty good track record with where you thought it was all going so uh i'm honored to be among the among the crowd tonight well thanks for saying so Uh, yeah it's it's weird because when when van said we need to get together and do like a a reaction i knew exactly what he was talking about even though he didn't say what we were going to be reacting to (laughs) (laughs) right i I think i got it it, it's what we do it's what we do and it seems weird because it's been so long since we've done like one of these, like like Dave said, like the the big announcement like this with you know whatever is coming up in a, okay. a phase has not happened for a while. So this is going to be fun. Well, you know that's something I want to mention really quick and, and see if you guys react to this. The um, I made this point I think to Mira yesterday that with phase when they announced phase three and that was one that had like the really big stuff, especially toward the end, they basically told us everything. And I felt like they looked back at that and said that maybe we gave away too much. And maybe we like said, why should we pay attention to this smaller stuff here when there's this big stuff coming? And so I felt like with phase four, they went the other way and haven't really told us very much for all of phase four. So now for five and six, they've kind of gone back to the way it was with three again and kind of like, look at all this, you know, this waiting. So it's like they can't decide which way they like better. You need any. Well, I mean, five and six still have some, uh, some. Oh, op- I mean, well, six in particular has some yeah, open dates. For There's sure. still room to pack in some surprises. Of course, they also want to balance San Diego with D23, and they've got a couple of years also to play with. So, I, I hopefully they're just kind of pacing it out. I, I agree that it's probably a mistake to like do all your announcements all at once and not hold anything back. Um, and also, you know plans change like when the initial phase three announcement it was going to be avengers part one and two or or what was the initial title it, they changed infinity it from whatever war it was. one and two yeah yeah that's right it, you know, right so um 
so uh, maybe they're taking a little bit more measured approach. Um, I, I don't know. I, I I was just excited with what we heard. I don't think I, I I think there's enough blank spots left on the calendar that we there's still room to uh, excite us down the line in the future. Jimmy, thought? yeah, I agree. Like you know, one of the things I thought when I was going through all the announcements was exactly what Dave said that they left themselves enough wiggle room so that there's still some mystery as to where these phases are going. You know, we don't know all of the character reveals that are going to be made. And I also, as, as we go through things, they're starting to do something really interesting with uh, the this current phase that we're in where they're using shows and movies that we know who the lead characters are, obviously going into it. And they're using all of those post-credit scenes that we've gotten used to as a way to introduce even more characters yeah. at the last minute. I mean, we've seen this now, you know, the last couple of movies, the last couple of shows where they use the the end and the post-credits tease to throw out, you know, Hercules and Clea and, you know, a whole bunch of people. And we get them for like, 30 seconds and it's like oh what are they doing with this person even the countess well, now we've got this whole list of movies where we can kind of look forward mm-hmm. to seeing what they're going to do with those people that's right yeah they, they that's the, with the falcon the winter soldier we had uh julia dreyfus come out there at the end and stuff so yeah that's right um for folks that don't know exactly what we're talking about here, I didn't exactly, uh, you guys did a better job introducing it than I did, which is that at San Diego Comic-Con this past week, Marvel announced some of their big plans for the next three years or so. And so we're going to break it all down, try to make sense of it, and give kind of our thoughts and opinions on, on what it might be like and where it might be going. Uh, I do have to first thank our patrons. Go to www.patreon.com and just search White Rocket or my name, and you will find our Patreon. Join up, join the family, and help us keep our programs going. Uh, we have like, what, four channels now on our network, so it's crazy. Um, all right, so before we get into five, phase five and phase six, a little bit about four. Phase four, we now know, will end with Wakanda Forever, the Black Panther sequel in November, and we got a trailer for that. Uh, it is now acknowledged to have been the beginning of the multiverse saga, which to me seems very retroactively retrofitted in, but that's fine. And we got a trailer for one of Wakanda Forever. It should have been Wanda Forever. We got a trailer for Wakanda Forever that included Namor. Kind of. We could talk. Yeah. <laughs> and so I want to. I mean, let me start with Jim. Your impressions of Phase 4 so far, how it's gone, and where it's going. So, I mean, you said that they they were kind of retroactively mm-hmm. introducing this as the beginning of the multiverse saga. And, you know, I, I they did the same thing with the Infinity War. Yep. I mean, they... But I think they knew all along that that's what they were building to. I mean, obviously, we, we saw Thanos right away you know early in in this whole thing and they they were building the infinity stones and they were doing all of this so i think those of us in the know knew that that's where they were going with it we didn't know exactly how it was going to play out but we knew that's what they were doing and it's kind of the same way with this like i I feel like the phase four movies have been very intentionally and and some of the shows 
have very intentionally been laying the groundwork for the multiverse and having things start to happen within the multiverse that are, are going to eventually build and build and build to where, you know, we have this, you know, huge crisis that we need all of the heroes throughout all of the multiverse to come together and solve. And, you know, that's the only way that they can top in game, right? Is, you know, we're not just going to bring together all of the heroes that we've seen throughout the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but now we've got this multiverse to where we can bring in basically any character that we want Other versions, and have them yeah. be a part of, you know, th these Avengers movies that are coming up that we're going to get to talk to about later. And so I, I think they've known all along that the multiverse was going to be the next step. And especially when they acquired 20th Century Fox hmm. and got the rights back to Fantastic Four and X-Men because they had already laid so much groundwork with the MCU that to shoehorn the Fantastic Four and the X-Men in without them having established continuity, I guess, within their own universes, I guess, would not make sense for all of us Marvel fans, like, because we would be asking, well, where's Reed Richards been this whole time? Or where's professor X been this whole time? And now the multiverse allows them to bring in these franchises as whole cloth and not having to, you know, have all of this, you know, 20 years worth of history in the MCU. And so I think they knew, I think Kevin Feige is very smart and the brain trust that they have working creatively knew that this was the direction they had to take things. And I would, I would add um, that this is the perfect time to do a multiverse-based thing simply because we're in the transition point from the original actors to the new crowd. And this gives you a chance to, to do that. And I think that part of the roadmap for this was the last Spider-Man movie because they were able to cross over a bunch of multiverse stuff in there. And that seemed to work very well. I would point out, by the way, though, that the, the Infinity Saga was not planned from the very beginning. In fact, it was kind of an accident. I think, it totally, like you, I think they totally planned it from the moment that they decided to do it. But remember, the only reason we even had Thanos was that they asked Joss Whedon who should be at the end of the Avengers movie, and he just picked, pulled Thanos out of his rear end. Right. So after that, it became a thing. But before that, it they I don't I don't think they I don't think they. All right. So David, your thoughts on Phase Four, including what we see coming up for the end of it? Okay. Well, you know, for me, and you already know this, my my enthusiasm dropped after Endgame, and um, I I have found it um, a little bit more difficult for me to get excited about every single project that comes out since then, just because Endgame was just so massive. Right. It felt like such like how do you go forward from that? And, uh, and, 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 and that's, that's been my reaction. I mean, some of these that have come out in phase four, I've been more excited about than others. And I think that's been true for the general public. Um, but one thing it has seemed as though there was less direction, right? We did, the plan wasn't as visible to us right. as it was in phase three. And so it felt like, where's this going? Like there's an expectation set that it needed to be going somewhere when really, you know, the movies don't really have to, but that's our expectation. And it's like, what's, what's the plan here? Is there no plan? Are we now rudderless? You know? And so if that's taken away from your confidence, 
what Marvel Studios is putting out that it's not going to help you get enthusiastic about something that you're already trying to get enthusiastic about. Um, but like Jim was saying, I think that um, in retrospect, you can see where they've been doing the groundwork, you know, that maybe not every movie. Oh, obviously, one focus of phase four is just to introduce new characters, you know, just to get us used to a, a, a new uh a new menu of characters, right? There are new For characters sure. in play that we, that we can get to know. But, uh, and so not every movie has dealt with the idea of a multiverse, but some have, and more than one, right? So Spider-Man is an obvious big one, the Loki um, television show and the what if television show, the Dr. Strange movie. So, um, and, and then the quantum verse and all the stuff with that, man. So I, I think it's been important to bring the audience along, right? So we're now at a spot where the not just comic book geeks or sci-fi people, but the general public mm-hmm. understands the concept of a multiverse and 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 they're and they're they're with us. They're along for the ride, they're bought in, right? We're not going to lose them. We start we start talking about the multiverse. So I think I think you had to establish that foundation and I think we're there. So I think it was a slow game with phase 4 and they purposely didn't have a, a clear, like, big culmination point in place. But I think they did have an idea of what they wanted to do. And obviously, as as Avenger fans, we know that, you know, when you're looking at the list of arch enemies, the major bosses that you can play towards, it's a short list, and Kang is on that list. And so, you know, it, it it's all just kind of makes sense. Um, and yeah. like you were saying, you know, dealing with Kang and dealing with multiverses, it opens the door to any casting option you want to do. Like if at the end of phase six, we have new actors playing Captain America and Iron Man, Tony Stark, then there's a story way to get there That's and, true. And, ha- and have us, you know, and still have us not lose us as an audience. And, or you can bring bring favorites back. You know, it's uh, it, it's all wide open, and so it's it's another major boss on the level of Thanos, but it's also a slightly different type of threat, which is gonna. I mean, I'm excited about where the possibilities can go. That's a good thing. That's glad. I'm glad that it's got you excited again for sure. Any quick thoughts as we transition out of Phase Four? Any thoughts about Namor and quote unquote Atlantis? Yes. <laughs> and and the first thought is, I am always going to call it Atlantis and nobody try to correct me. Okay? I'm a grumpy old man. He's the king of Atlantis. But uh, I'll say this about the Wakanda, the Wakanda Forever trailer. It moved the needle for me so much. Because yeah. without... I mean, let's just take a moment and pay respect to Chadwick Boseman. Yes. Um, I had such respect and admiration not only for his craft but just for who he was and what an and then we learned even more about him after his passing and his secret battle with cancer it's just it's devastating and i hate that we don't get more t'challa from I, him. I i just have to point out what killed him tried to kill me and so i've always felt a very tight bond with chadwick and get uh, yourself checked out folks okay it's, it's heartbroken but in and as you know as much as we wish we could still have him, the idea of going forward with a black panther movie with with a T'Challa shaped hole right in the middle of the movie, yeah, it just was. It was not doing anything. Like this, one of these movies that I was, didn't care about. I was like, I don't care about a Black Panther movie that doesn't have Black Panther in it. But then I saw this trailer, and it's basically Atlantis versus Wakanda, and I am I am here for it. <laughs> I am all in. It looks like it's going to be 
amazing. It does. Jim? And the, the thing that I was so impressed with was they they had to thread the needle with this movie so tightly to pay respect to Chadwick Boseman and, and move on from T'Challa being Black Panther and, and be respectful of the actor and the man that we've all kind of grown to love and respect and still do a Marvel movie that's going to move Wakanda forward in the MCU and, and move the surviving characters forward. And, you know, one of the things that struck me was, and I, and I think, Van, you and I kind of talked about it when Black Panther came out a couple of different times in a couple of different venues, that the cast for that movie was so amazing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Ryan Coogler did such a good job of getting high-quality people to buy into wanting to be a part of that movie. No doubt. And it's paying off with this movie because one of my favorite parts of the trailer was just, I mean, Angela Bassett has like a monologue halfway through the trailer where, you know, she's basically in front of the UN Mm -hmm. talking about how she's the queen of the most powerful nation on earth and her family has been taken from her and she's the only one left. And, and it's just heartbreaking hearing her talk about it. And it really makes me think that having T'Challa out of the picture really changed the dynamic of what they could do story-wise, obviously, but specifically in this movie, as far as they knew that they were going to have a a Wakanda Atlantis war. Like they knew that that was going to be the driving thrust of the plot. And the fact that the King's dead and Wakanda doesn't know who their leader is going to be in the midst of all that, is just like very dramatic and powerful to me. And it, it, like I said, they just, they really did a good job threading the needle of what they needed to do for us as real world fans, but also for the MCU as a whole, because obviously when you're making these movies, there are certain things that have to happen to advance the MCU forward to the next thing. And not having T'Challa as Black Panther could have been a big problem, but I think that it looks like they've figured it out. And, you know, it, I think everybody's kind of of the opinion that Shuri's going to step into that role. And I think they're trying to do what they can to make it a big surprise. But I think Black sure. Panther 2 is going to be probably bigger than the first one, which is hard to say because, I mean, it was a billion dollar movie. It's in all respect to Ryan Coogler. I mean, this is on his shoulders. You know, he he, he had a screenplay set ready to go, and then suddenly mm-hmm. his main character's taken away from him, and he's still got a release date to meet and, and yeah. still hit the beats that the MCU needs. And uh, man, everything in this trailer, I'm telling you, before this trailer, this is one of those, this is one of those I was like, this isn't going to work. You know, I'm, I'm not, I don't care about this movie anymore. And then that trailer completely flipped me. I, awesome. I cannot wait for this movie to come out. Um, I think he absolutely nailed the dramatic stakes that you were talking about. Um, this movie and uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and Armor Wars, to me, all have something in common. They each are trying to sell us on the trappings and setting and supporting cast right. of a certain Avenger who is actually not going to be a part of it. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I have pros and cons about Falcon and Winter Soldier. I have hopes for Armor Wars, but, you know, I'm, I am skeptical, just like I was skeptical about Wakanda Forever. Um, and I, from all, I'm, I mean, like I say, I just have a trailer to go on, right? But, man, it looks like he's absolutely nailed it. I don't have any qualms or fears anymore about what Wakanda Forever can be. So, um uh, if if only Armor Wars can, can can live up to the to what Wakanda Forever seems to be delivering. And the other needle they had to thread uh, there was um, having Namor the Submariner when you've just had Jason Momoa as Aquaman and Atlantis there. And I mean it's it's kind of like DC trying to do Dark Side after Marvel had done Thanos. It's like doesn't matter who really came first or second. The public perception is if one of them's out there, you it's much harder to do the second one. And so they've had to tweak it a little bit. That's fine with me because I didn't want another Aquaman movie, um, and I don't care enough about Namor specifically that I would object to any changes to him as long as he's arrogant and, you know, is as much a villain as he is a hero. Um, that's all that really matters to me. If you want to say he's a, uh, an Aztec, you want to say he's a whatever, I, you know, that's fine. And from everything I've been seeing, there are a whole lot of people in Central South America that are very, very excited about that and good for them. It's a big win for them. So um, that's cool. I have no... I I don't feel bad for any triangular-shaped white dudes that missed out on that role because they gave it to this guy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Aquaman... Yeah, because (laughs) Aquaman was a blonde-headed dude in the comics, and he was played by Jason Momoa, who was awesome, by the way. So, you know, so... I just I have no patience for that kind of uh, criticism. It's either a good story or it's not, and the rest of it is fine. So the, the, the changes, go ahead. Well, I was going to say the changes that they're making to it are not changing the character at all fundamentally. Right. That's what I'm. And yeah. Those those are the things that when I see them making a change, you know, and and you know, this has been a conversation that's been going on for a couple of years now throughout you know the creative community is you know, changes that are being made for wokeness sake versus are they fundamentally sound creative choices? Mm -hmm. And in this case, like, I don't think they made any of these choices because somebody at Marvel was like waving their hand going, Hey, we need to have like a central or South American Mm -hmm. character. So let's pick one out of a hat and and it just happened to be Namor. Like, I think they made the changes because I mean, like you pointed out, they didn't want it to be, considered too similar to Aquaman because Aquaman came out first right. and the, the changes kind of make sense for the story anyway. And to highlight kind of a, a different culture and make that what the Atlanteans in the MCU are all about just makes them different enough to where it's, it's cool to see. And, you know, you're not doing it for any other reason than, you're trying to differentiate this character from something similar. Precisely what I was thinking. David, did you have a thought? So I agree with everything you said, and but I'll take it a step further, and you, you didn't address this, but I agree with everything you're saying as far as the changes they're doing is all logic and everything, but 
I'm still going to call it Atlantis. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the Aztec, part of it was interesting and surprising. And I was like, what are they doing? Um, but I had somebody point out to me, and I'm taking their word for it because I haven't done the research. But um, apparently there are indications in Plato's original writings about Atlantis to indicate that they were Aztec in, in nature. There were some, Ooh. at least some superficial similarity to the Aztec like culture. So when I heard that, I was like, okay. Hey, right, I got to tell I'm, you, the last yeah. thing I want is high-tech Aztecs running around. So I'm all for Wakanda <laughs> unless I'm um, otherwise you know, dissuaded. I, I think it, not only you know have you had Aquaman that the, you're competing with the general public for in their perception, um, but um, really, when you think about how DC and Marvel treat Atlantis in the comics, with the, you know the kind of the medieval trappings with the royal court and the castle and the armor and the weapons, it's kind of similar. Like, there's not a lot of difference in how Atlantis is depicted exactly. in the two comic book companies. And so, to to find a way to have a different look in this, and at the same time, it's familiar enough and based in the real world enough that it kind of comes with a certain set of expectations and, and, and it's like a shorthand for defining this Atlantean culture mm -hmm. that we're, we're going to like feel very familiar with a lot quicker because right. of that reason. Um, but the other part of it is they got Namor's look. They nailed yeah. it. I mean, it looks yeah. like Namor. They went with the swimming trunks and the ankle wings. Yes. And the, and they're not just like part of his boots. Like if you look at the birthing scene in the trailer, that baby has wings on his ankles. <laughs> and uh, so I'm here for it, man. It's Namor. I think that's cool. As long as they call him Namor, and I'm going to call it Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs> they gave him Red Bull and it gave him wings. All right, let's yeah. transition over into phase five, which will barely be a year. Phase five is going to be like 15 months, I thought was interesting. It's like the shortest phase I can remember. Um so let's kind of run through them and just see what guy, what you guys want to say. I have a question. Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is basically Ant-Man 3, Ant-Man and, Ant and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, 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 um, February 17th, 23. My question is, who was more responsible for saving the world, Scott or the rat in the van? <laughs> the rat. The rat. The rat, I get the rat. Yeah. The rat, and he needs a name. All he right. does need a name. Little world-saving rat. So... <laughs> Um, this is a movie where we're going to have our second encounter with Kang, theoretically. The first being in Loki Part 1, and then presumably the, second, the third being in Loki Part 2, which is later on that year. So I, here's the thing. When they announced Avengers the Kang Dynasty, I was on the floor not just because I get... A, we get an Avengers movie. B, Avengers and Kang. But C, they've been saying all along that Kang was building up to Ant-Man 3. And I'm thinking they're going to take this first, second best Avengers villain and quote-unquote waste them on an Ant-Man movie. I love the Ant-Man movies, but I don't want Kang to be the big bad of an Ant-Man movie. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, he's so, an Avenger bad guy, not an Ant-Man bad guy. Yeah, you, you don't bring in the Legion of Doom and have them fight the Atom. You have them <laughs> fight the freaking Justice League, right? So um, so I was I was really worried about that. Okay, so any, any thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp and Kang in this one? David. I would just say, first of all, I'm excited about it, and I don't know what we're in store for, but mm -hmm. I have enjoyed both of the Ant-Man movies a lot. Um, 
I think I, my expectation for this is that we're just going to get a lot um, of bricks laid down for what the multiverse, the rules that the multiverse saga mm. is going to operate by. And we're going to learn a lot about it. I know that they've already said that most of this movie will be taking place in the quantum realm or that the quantum realm is not what we think it's going to be. And I mm. think we're going to, I think we're just going to get a lot of definition as far as what kind of sandbox we're playing in for the, for the rest of these movies. I wish we could get the Micronauts. God, I wish we could get the Micronauts so bad in the quantum realm. <laughs> Jim, your thoughts on Ant-Man Wasp 3, Quantumania? Well, you know, you you said that you were worried that they were using Kang in this one. Yeah. And I remember uh, it was probably when they signed Jonathan Majors for Loki. Sorry, I need a drink. Um, they signed him to, like, the Samuel L. Jackson deal, which okay. was, like, you know, eight or nine appearances. We're not going to tell you what movie or, or TV series it's going to be for because we haven't, like, laid all that out yet. But you're definitely going to be in Loki. You're definitely going to be in Ant-Man and the Wasp. And then you're going to make a bunch of other appearances between those two appearances and, you know, the big finale in, you know, the Avengers down the road or whatever. I don't even know that they had decided they were going to call it Kang Dynasty at that point, but they knew they were going to use Kang in like eight or nine different ways. And I remember when we first saw him in Loki that it, that it wasn't really Kang and they were opening the door by saying, well, he's one of the variants, obviously. And so that had the light bulb go off in my head and I said, well, Obviously, every time we see Jonathan Majors make an appearance in the MCU, he's going to be playing a different Kang variant. Like, they're not going to have him play the same Kang over mm. and over again. Right. Which I think is cool because from him as an actor standpoint, he gets to play around with it and give us different versions of this guy. Yeah. And from what we've heard... Like the the quantum mania Kang that we're going to get is going to be the very comics accurate Kang that we all know and love to hate. Oh, which kind of sets the table for any other appearances he makes, but it also sets the table for all of the other different historical variants that we've seen of Kang in the comics too. So, I think you guys are right. This is very much going to be a, a densely packed uh, primer into the multiverse and how the mm. quantum realm allows people to traverse the various multiple realities that we have. Um, they need to have another way to be able to transverse dimensions other than using America Chavez a lot. Yeah. And I think this is going to open the door. And because they've said the quantum realm is the key to time travel, you know, that plays into Kang's whole shtick as well. That's an important point. I'm glad you said, which is that one of the main things that they've done, and this is what kind of threw me off at first, that this would have so much to do with Kang, this phase uh, and the next ones is that Kang is the time travel guy, not a multiverse guy, but right. they've kind of blended those two together and it works, and they, and they really did most of the heavy lifting of that, I think, on in Loki, where they mm. kind of blended together the idea of time travel 
and alternate realities. They just kind of said it's all the same thing, which is which goes back to Kang's past with the Council of Cross Time Kangs and everything. So that that made sense. So um, I wonder how much mastery of time is really going to play into the MCU version of Kang because I really feel like it's been a minor aspect of it to this point. It, it does feel like it's more about alternate realities than it is time travel. Yes. Which, you know, I don't know if you can pull off that change completely, but um but you know, as we were talking, I almost forgot that he's that this is actually should be a conversation about time travel in different eras. Mm-hmm. But um but we'll see, I guess, if they're gonna like let that go, if they're gonna find a way to really really use that yeah i think kang's just going to be slightly different but that's okay i mean as long as he's kang i don't care if he's traveling through time or traveling alternate dimensions or he's creating alternate dimensions by traveling in time or whatever i you know the the way his weapons work the way his shtick works to me is entirely secondary to him being an arrogant conqueror that just wants to kill the avengers and has reasons to you know and all that kind of stuff. Oh, and, and my last thought on that is, allegedly there is a line where Scott Lang says to him, I'm an Avenger, and Kang says, I'm a conqueror. So <laughs> that could be fun. That could be fun. All right, we'll come back to Kang. Hold your thoughts on Kang. we got more to say. Spring 2023, I assume this is a Disney Plus show, is Secret Invasion. And I'm also assuming this is going to tie us back to the end of Captain Marvel. It's been a while since we left uh, Nick at one of those movies, was it Captain Marvel that we left, or, or one of them that we left Nick with the scrolls yep. up in space or whatever? And so we've been kind of, since 2019, kind of waiting to see uh, what he's up to. So this is going to be a Nick Fury-driven story, Nick Fury versus the scrolls, even though the scrolls were kind of the good guy guys in that movie. So, David, any thoughts on uh, Secret Invasion? And, and just... Uh, I don't- I just want to give a little prayer that it's couldn't possibly be worse than the comic book version. So there we go. <laughs> so for those that might not know, the, the Secret Invasion storyline in the comics involved revealing that a lot of established superheroes and, supposed, and I guess supervillains were actually scrolls and had been for a long time. And uh, and, then, and then at some point the spaceship opens and all the real characters come pouring out. And, uh, you know... It's you know it's the kind of thing that doesn't play well in a connected universe. There's all kinds of continuity issues that pop up all over the place from that. So uh, you know the hook the the hook can be good. I mean you know that that the people that you think are your allies are actually shape shifting aliens. But how it plays out, I don't know. Is this going to be a story that's set like pre Iron Man, like between Captain Marvel and Iron Man? I don't know. Or is this like a is this like in the now of the timeline? It could even in the now. Yeah, like, I'm gonna say it could even be back in the Captain Marvel timeline. It could be back in the late '90s. Well, I do know. So Kobe Smolders is coming back, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so. We're, we're so we're gonna get the shield and scroll things. So there's a there's a lot of toys to play with. So yeah. um, I'm gonna be optimistic. And this is how I am with most of these Disney shows that we don't know anything about right now. I will choose to be optimistic, but they're gonna have to earn it from me. I'm not. I'm I'm at a point where I'm not just automatically bought in because it says Marvel on it, but um, but I recognize that, uh, I mean, I'm open to, to them winning me over. They got to earn it, but I think they can, I think there's a, there's a lot of potential here, but I, I don't really know. There's not enough to go on to form an opinion on what their right. take is going to be. The, J- Nick Fury versus aliens is all you got to tell me and I'm in, but Jim, go ahead. Yeah. 
Well, what what they had to tell me to to get me to buy into it was because I really liked Ben Mendelsohn in Captain yeah. Marvel as, as kind of the main scroll, mm-hmm. uh, and I liked the direction they took it because obviously we all went into that movie knowing that there were scrolls in it and thinking that the scrolls were going to be the bad guys and they weren't. Uh, so I think this one, at least from what I've heard and the the feel I have, is that it's really going to be more of a buddy cop Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury and Ben Mendelsohn as the good scroll <laughs> trying to hunt down all of the bad scrolls that are trying to infiltrate okay. the, the oh, government so this is, or whatever. So this and, is going to be Alien know, Nation. It's, it's and, alien yeah, nation. and from what, from what Colby Smulders has said, um, especially coming off of Comic-Con, was that she said it's very much a show where you spend 90% of it not knowing who's who because of all the shapeshifters that are flying all right. around and all right. All right. I got and a so question I like that. I mean, it's, that's the hook, right? Yeah. That's the hook of secret invasion. Yeah. And, and one of, one of the things about all the Disney plus shows is I do in some way, not all of them, but some of them very much feel like they're, they're filler and they're disposable. Like I'm going to enjoy it in the yeah. moment, but it's not going to have a far-reaching impact on the MCU. And they basically came up with a lot of this just to provide content for Disney Plus, right? So, you know, it's not going to have the big far-reaching impact that some of the movies are going to have. And you know, uh, if if they do, then great. But if not, then you know, on the best end of the scale, we get like Hawkeye and we get the Loki series. And on the, the far end of the scale, on the other direction, we get something that's okay, but it's not horrible. Like, you know, people have varying opinions about Falcon and the Winter Soldier and, and WandaVision. And, you know, WandaVision did a lot more to set up Wanda for Doctor Strange than it did anything else. And, Falcon and the Winter Soldier obviously had to set up Sam to take over the mantle of Captain America so he could go make Captain America movies. But other than that, they didn't really do a lot. And it was just, you know, popcorn and fluff. And I kind of feel like that's where Secret Invasion's falling in. Because they're not doing the true comic story mm-hmm. where we're going to have a bunch of MCU heroes in the show and we're going to find out all of a sudden that some of our heroes that we've known and loved for 20 years have actually been scrolls. Right, I've got like, to ask you guys quick. Yeah. I got a quick ask you guys, very quick. If there's one character in the MCU right now that you hope turns out to be a scroll, who is it? Mm, man, I needed that question in advance. I don't advance, know. I see, know. Uh, I just want to see. <laughs> Mull that one over. If you think of somebody, we'll come back to it. Um, okay. Guardians of the Galaxy three is in May. It's the last. They've said it is the last Guardians of the Galaxy movie of this crowd maybe they'll come up with a new guardians or something but it's the last one um i'm kind of excited about it just because it's it's bringing back uh gun to direct it and everything and the the thing that i like about the guardians movies is they have a little of that same sensibility that uh taika waititi brings to the thor movies but they don't get as goofy they're a little more restrained and i like i appreciate that about them and uh, they also use the Asgardians very well. That was one thing I really liked about the Thor movie. So, um, 
what do we think about this? Is it, I mean, um, we're glad they brought, they waited and got gunned back, right? Jim, you, your, your turn to fire off. Any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I I was real nervous about somebody coming in and, and trying to do another Guardians movie, you know, somebody other than James Gunn. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's obviously had a plan with these movies. And, and I mean, he said as much over the weekend at Comic-Con when he said this was going to be his final Guardians movie and the final Guardians movie with this team. Yeah. Like, he clearly had a trilogy story that he wanted to tell and he's wrapping it up and so yeah i'm glad that they waited uh i know the cast is happy that they waited um and obviously you know we're gonna get to see him fulfill whatever the vision was and and the cool thing is if this is his vision then he's been planning adam warlock (laughs) since day one and he's been planning the high evolutionary since day one which that was the big reveal that shocked me over the announcements for, for this sure. movie specifically was, you know, that they brought out the high evolutionary during the panel. And I was like, Oh, Holy crap. Who's playing them. I didn't see. Um, I don't remember the actor's name. He's, he's the same guy that's in, uh, the peacemaker series that James okay. Gunn did okay. for HBO max. Um, All right. and he's great in, in peacemaker too. So I, I'm excited that he's doing this, but just the, it's, you know, we talk about this all the time. Like how, when they make these announcements sometimes and you're like, really? Like we're, there's going to be a movie <laughs> that exists that has the high evolutionary in it. That's insane. I love it. Like that's I love crazy. That guy. He's another one of those gray dudes that sometimes he's kind of a hero. Sometimes he's kind of a villain. And I like that. I like these characters that you don't quite know you know, what you're going to get or where they're going to go. You know, it's another, another, another villain that makes pink work as a costume color. So that's a hard yep. thing to pull off. So good for him. Uh, David, any quick thoughts on guardians of the galaxy three? Well, the high evolutionary is interesting because I believe I understand they're going to reveal that rocket raccoon is a product of high evolutionaries experiments. There we go. That's basically going to be rockets origin. And this movie is going to be Rocket's story. And we're yeah. going to see that, uh, that it's a tragedy and we're going to see where the scars on his back came from. And we're going to, um, and we're going to know why he's not actually a raccoon and wh- how he can talk and all that kind of stuff. So it's, that's gonna, to me, that's very interesting. And, uh, also Adam Warlock. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. So right. I, I, a lot of people I've talked to just, they don't regard guardians volume two as highly as the first one, but in my mind, they were both equally good and equally entertaining. And, uh, I mean, I've got no reason to to feel any differently going into this third one, so I'm excited about it. I, very quickly, my thoughts. I, I, it's a, it's frustrating to me to get Warlock now after Infinity War, just like it was frustrating to get the Mandarin now after Iron Man is dead. I feel like in both cases they brought him along too late. Um, if we're gonna have Warlock, I really need the Magus. Or the Magus. I've never have known how you pronounce that G. But anyway, his his evil side. And and that doesn't work because Thanos is gone. And the whole point of Thanos was to oppose the, the Magus. So right. they're basically just going to do something completely different with Warlock. And it's hard for me to be as excited for Warlock knowing it's basically not really the same Warlock I like. But on the other he hand, was a we character, are... Yeah. Yeah, but we are getting Pip, I guess, and we have Gamora, and we've got Eros, so 
there's enough of the there's enough Starlin there available that they can do something that I like. You know, it's just right. But Adam Warlock was one of those characters that was a by design a, a counterbalance to yeah to, 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 to Thanos. Thanos. And it, that's his like, whole point. Obviously, that's his. That's what he was designed for, and that's obviously not what they're going to do here. No, so, no, what so. what can happen? Yeah, well, I agree. Other, it's like the whole time I was wondering, how can we ever use Thanos if we don't have Adam well, Warlock yet? And now I know. Anyway. Well, they, I I said it immediately. I said they're going to use Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange is is the one that was the general that figured out how to beat him. They just substituted Strange in for Warlock. But mm-hmm. Warlock's other really kind of cool things that are available is he does commit stellar suicide or whatever. By he knows he turns into a villain later, so he kills himself now so that he can't become a villain later. That's a pretty cool story thing that he did. And then um, he also is like the Jesus of of Counter-Earth or something. I really don't think they want to go there. I mean, Starlin was smoking a lot of pot, I think, you know, when he was coming up with some of this stuff. But There's the Church of Universal Truth also. Yeah, we'll see. yeah. So there's we'll things they do. can still do. It's just it's not going to be the thing that most people identify with him, but we'll see. If I can go back to your scroll question. Oh, yes. Um, I would say that, I don't know if I have a specific answer, but I would say if there's any character that you feel like needs a tonal adjustment to okay. how the character is played, the the scroll reveal would be your opportunity to correct it. That's and true. So if the feeling is Thor has become too comical, <laughs> I like it. He's been the super it, scroll all this time. Yeah, I love you can it. Change Clert. that, right? Clert, or, bring in Clert. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, maybe so, we'll get that, Clert that, in the Secret Invasion. So hey, uh oh, <laughs> I would love it. So well, I. I I thought it was funny, you know, especially after this last Thor movie that, you know, Van has mentioned many times that in the MCU, Tony Stark has Hawkeye's personality. Right. And, you know, they basically gave Tony Hawkeye's Clint's personality mm-hmm. and they, they did the same thing with Thor when <laughs> Pico took over and, and did Ragnarok. They made Thor Hercules. Yes. <laughs> and gave Thor Hercules' personality. Yes. Yes. And so when, when they do the post-credit scene yeah. at the end of Love and Thunder and we see Thor for the first time. Hercules. And the, the fact time. that it's Brett it's Goldstein Hercules. from Ted Lasso just yes. thrills me to know it. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but is he going to – I think so he's going to be more like Ares, though. Yeah. It's like they, they made Thor into Hercules and they're making Hercules into Ares. Yeah. Because Where does Hercules it end? Is not going to be Hercules. Like <laughs> I need the jovial, boastful Hercules, no, not the serious the version, like the frat this, bro version. This is going to be the Hercules that just cusses you out as he as he, you know, stomps out the door or whatever. I love that character. I love the character he plays on Ted Lasso. I love him so much. I've got his soccer jersey in my closet with it's got Roy Kent and his number on the back. I love it. But um but That's yeah, that is an interesting choice. He's. I, did you see what? Uh, did you see what uh, the actor that plays him said about his parents? He said he no. knew his parents didn't like Marvel type movies at all, but he like begged them. He called them up from wherever he was and said, "Please go see Thor." And so they sat all the way through it, and then they called him when the credits first came up, and they called him, and his mom is like, "It was okay. I don't know why you wanted to see this." And then in the background, he could hear the credit scene come on. He's like, Mom, look up from the phone. <laughs> look up, Mom. <laughs> so, uh, do we have anything to say about Echo? I don't. 
Now, I mean, that's one of those, like I said earlier, that, like I feel like the, filler. The, the character was good in yeah. Hawkeye. Yeah. I mean, I liked what they did with her, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily know that we needed yeah. a, a solo series well, based I'll on say, her. Yeah, so this is one that I have my meters at absolute zero. I'd, yeah. Maybe they'll win me over, but I do not care right now at all. No. I do expect we're going to get a little bit of like kingpin, like uh, yeah. intro, you know. That's it, possible. It, probably connect to Daredevil. At, yeah. you know, well, that's what level. I was going to say too. Is I I feel like now that we've had the announcement of, you know, mm-hmm. we're getting a, a Daredevil series, that that's probably going to be the connective tissue because mm-hmm. we've seen kingpin in the Hawkeye series. We know that kingpin's connected to Echo. So we need to have an Echo series to kind of bridge the gap and explain a little bit more to set the table for Daredevil. Exactly. Set the table for Daredevil. Whatever Daredevil, wherever the pieces need to be for Daredevil Episode 1, Echo yeah. will probably move those pieces into place. And and they've already said that Charlie Cox is going to make appearances in Echo. Yep, there you go. Um, you know, I, I don't know that they've said for certain that he's going to be Daredevil or if he's just appearing as Matt Murdock, but... Since we've already seen Matt Murdock in the last Spider-Man Spider-Man. movie, and we know he's going to make appearances in the upcoming She-Hulk show as Daredevil, they're they're, yeah, they're just giving him more opportunities to play Matt Murdock slash Daredevil before the series. I am currently watching for the first time the third season of Daredevil. I the Defenders bored me so much that I just didn't watch anything else from Netflix after that. But I'm I'm watching the third season now. It is absolutely brilliant. He has yeah. yet to put the Daredevil costume on. I'm on episode 10 of 13, and he has yet to put the Daredevil costume on this season. So it is interesting how they play around with Daredevil and Matt Murdock in that Netflix show that he's not hes not always Daredevil the way we think of Daredevil, but he's always that same character, and it's its still good. I More to say about that in a minute. Um, all right, the Marvels, I have nothing to say about that because I haven't gotten to see Ms. Marvel yet. It's, it's like been waiting till we finish something else, and we hadn't finished it yet. But I will say this. If nothing else, it's Captain Marvel 2. It was originally called Captain Marvel 2, and I'm excited because of that. So it's kind of got that Wakanda Forever flavor of bringing in lots of characters, supporting characters, and kind of making it its own thing, you know. So any thoughts on the Marvels? Well, it's going to have Monica Rambeau in it. Yeah. Oh, which is plus, I, you know, it's it's a little bit of uh, adjustment on the MCU's part as far as from what the comics did. You know, you didn't really have Monica Rambeau and Carol Danvers being, uh, you know, kind of in the same vein in the comics. No. But they're making it work. Um, and then Kamala Khan's going to be in it. I have not seen the Miss Marvel TV show either. Um, so I know absolutely nothing about it. I heard one rumor that sounded neat, but I have no idea if this is based on anything real or not. But the idea that like we could end up in a situation where Kamala Khan and Carol Danvers are body switching like like Rick Jones and Marvel <laughs> oh, did with the Nega bands, oh, I mean, I mean that's, that's that bad just been one person running their mouth. I have no idea, but it sounds kind of neat. Where's Rick Jones when you need him? Dang it! Now that would yeah. be funny. Yeah. That would be funny if you had Rick Jones and he switched body with switching. Carol oh, with Carol. Yeah, like Carol yeah. goes in the ladies' room and then switches with Rick Jones by accident. Rick Jones right. in the ladies' room. Right. That would, you, there's the comedy woman? gold. Yeah. Okay. Comedy gold you could make I out could, of that. Yeah. But we still don't I have Rick t- Jones. We still don't have. Yeah, Rick we Jones. need a Rick Jones. Um. 
we've talked about this a good bit, but Loki season two is on. It's it's just pretty much the rest of the story. They had to quit filming because of COVID, and it just got we got basically half the show. So this is the other half of the show. So we're probably getting more Jonathan Majors Kang. That's just cool. That's just cool, and um, you know maybe I, more. I think of, of all of the Disney Plus shows that could impact the movies, this is the one. Yeah. Because this obviously is going to be the one that if if you're watching all the shows on Disney Plus and seeing the movies, this show is going to set up a lot of what's going to come in phase six, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and really set the table for Kang to take over. Because, I mean, the way they ended Loki season one with that cliffhanger mm-hmm. and, you know, Kang is basically taken over the TVA and, you know, Loki doesn't know what to do to fix it. So, uh, obviously it's, it's Loki. So it's going to be enjoyable to watch no matter what, but knowing that that's the show that they're building out to tell a bigger story for the MCU is kind of cool. I, I call it tricky doctor who. Yep. He's Loki is tricky. Doctor who, um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's probably the last time we're going to see Loki. I'm imagining. Um, I've never seen any of the Blade movies, not because I didn't hear they were great. I just never have. I'm glad that they've got uh, Mr. Ali coming in to play him. <laughs> That's fine. I have no thoughts about it at all. You guys, Blade, anything? I am a Black Knight fan. I'm the biggest Black Knight fan you'll ever find. So if there are... I wouldn't. I wouldn't choose to tie Black Knight into Blade, but they're doing that, and I can see the logic behind it. Yeah, with makes sense. you know the curse, of the Ebony Blade, and vampirism. So, um, for the Black Knight reason alone, uh, I'm interested in this one. Yeah, I mean, this one it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do with it because you know, like you said, Van, you hadn't seen any of the other Blade movies, and they were, you know, varying degrees of of decent vampire movies, Hmm. but this isn't just going to be a vampire movie. It's, it's a movie about a, a vampire hunter in the MCU. So it's going to be bigger. Like there's going to be more stakes. It's not just going to be, Oh, this guy's fighting Dracula or this guy's fighting, you know, a generic vampire Lord. I mean, there's, there's going to be bigger. And like Dave said, I mean, you know, they teased, Dane Whitman and blade hooking up. So, you know, there's going to be bigger stuff and, and I can't imagine that they're just doing blade for the sake of doing blade. I mean, they've, they've got a plan for him, but, but, but the hook is, is sweet. I mean, the, the character is just cool. You've got a acrobatic martial artist killing vampires. That's a good movie right there. No matter what else you do with it. So, uh, I, 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 I have no reason to doubt that the movie is going to be it's going to be huge. That will be our November Marvel movie. So that's that's like the prestige one of the two prestige teach spots is the summer and then the fall. So that's interesting. All right, fall of twenty three. I'm assuming another Disney Plus show, Ironheart. I'm thinking it's something connected to Iron Man. It's not War Machine. It's some new character. I don't really know anything about it. It's Iron Man related, so I'll probably watch it. But I have no thoughts at all about it right now. You guys have any thoughts? It's just another Disney Plus kind of filler show. That's yeah. the Riri Williams character 
that they introduced a couple of years ago in the comics when okay. they decided to like diversify like every character that they could think of mm. and have like 18 different versions of Captain America running around and and three different people who were Tony Stark fans that came up with their own armor and I know mm. that they're introducing the character in Wakanda been? Forever and she's going to be a big part of that movie and then oh, they're okay. going to spin her off and do her own show. So well, that's good to know. That's good. Okay, I didn't know that. All right, well, that's cool. All right. Um, I'll, I'll just say this. I don't know anything about the character at all, and this is this movie, this show is on a level with Echo with me as far as yeah. how much I care about it right right now at this moment. Again, they could win me over. But uh, they'll lose me if they try to tell me that Riri, is that her name? If Riri is smarter than Tony. If they try to sell me that, I'm not going to buy it. I yeah, because Tony Stark has a spot in the Marvel Universe, and I don't want a new whippersnapper coming up and taking taking it away. From <laughs> Understood, I think. Agatha, Coven of Chaos, Winter 23-24. I got to tell you, I loved WandaVision. I like Agatha Harkness in the comics. but And, and I liked the role she, that Agatha was playing as a supporting character in the show. But when they did the big heel turn and she turned out to be the evil sorceress thing, I just didn't care. I thought she was very cartoony. It really just kind of lost me a lot. I have very little desire to watch a show about that version of Agatha Harkness. I just really don't. Anybody want to tell me differently or what? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think the reason that they're doing this show is I mean this is one of those things that Marvel has not done it a lot, but Hollywood does it all the time, where a supporting character they cast somebody to play a supporting part in a movie or a TV show, and that person is so perfectly cast and they do such a good job yeah. that the the studio sees dollar signs in spinning yeah. them off into a, their own project. I mean, there's no other reason why we have an Agatha Harkness show than the fact that Katherine Hahn was amazing in WandaVision. And there, because there's, I don't see where they go with the character and how this is going to fit into the greater MCU. And, you know, it just, it falls into that category of shows that we're, we're building a longer list of, of, Things that they're doing just because they need Disney Plus content. Yeah, yeah. It seem, seems like a pointless spinoff. Maybe they'll prove us wrong, but that's how what it feels like right now. Well, gentlemen, now we are to Daredevil: Born Again. The thing that's mind blowing about this is not just that they're bringing back Charlie Cox. Uh, I finally figured out who he reminds me of. He looks like uh, Alexander Rossi, the IndyCar driver. Uh, it's not just that they're bringing back. Wilson Fisk, Kingpin. It's that it's going to be 18 freaking episodes long. That is, and it's, and it's going to be an adaptation of born again. I mean, that has the potential if they do it right. I mean, here's my worry. I've been watching Disney plus shows for the last couple of years I'm now watching the Netflix Daredevil Season 3, as I said, and it's so much better done in some ways than any of the Disney Plus shows. It's slower. 
it's slower paced, it's darker, but it's more powerful than anything Disney Plus has done. The Disney Plus shows have a cartoony layer to them, good or bad. They just do. Even Falcon and the Winter Soldier, they still had this veneer of kind of kind of four-color cartoony. That Netflix, that, that Netflix Daredevil show, if you didn't know it was based on a comic book and there wasn't somebody in a Daredevil costume occasionally, though it's not Matt in this season, you would not necessarily know it was a comic book show. It's just like this dude that likes to punch people in the face over and over and get beaten up at the same time. And I mean, here's my hope. This could be, and I've seen a lot of people on Twitter and other places saying that this is the thing they're looking for the most out of everything we're talking about tonight. That blew my mind. I'm like, Daredevil? Are you kidding? That's the thing you're most looking forward to? But now that I'm watching season three, I'm like, you know what? If they do it right, it could be the best thing on this entire list. And that, I, I say that as a huge Kang fan. And so, yeah. I'm, so I'm like, if they do it right, but I'm terrified that they're going to Disneyfy. Netflix's Daredevil, and we're not going to get him because Daredevil in live action, whether it was Ben Affleck or Charlie Cox, involves people spitting out teeth and spitting out blood a lot, and just bare right. knuckle, so, you know. All right. So here's me. the thing for me, and and the encouraging thing was, like you said right at the top, 18 episodes. Yeah. So this is going to be a real TV series. This isn't going to be like. The, the stuff that they've called TV series with these other projects where it's a six episode run. And I mean, you yeah. and I have had th these conversations before about how the, the streaming services doing original shows have kind of found a sweet spot yeah. where it makes sense to tell a serialized story like eight to 10 episodes at a time with some of these other shows you know, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier was like that. Uh, WandaVision was like this. I mean, they've all been like this for the most part, where it's six episodes and the people behind the scenes will tell you they're just making a extended movie. Like this is one big, long movie. That we're just telling it in six parts. You know, we're telling a six hour movie instead of a two and a half hour movie. Well, Daredevil on Netflix showed me that there are some characters in the MCU that won't work in a movie format yeah, because they need the time to breathe. That's right. And, and they, they need that longer serialized story to actually make the characters and the conflict work a little bit better. And Daredevil is perfect for this format. And if they had come out and said, we're doing Daredevil born again, it's going to be six episodes I wouldn't have been as excited. The fact that they're doing 18 tells me that they've got a longer story that they want to tell and they're going to take the time to tell it. And they're not just doing this in lieu of daredevil being in a movie yeah. two or three years from now. Like, yeah. I think we're still going to see daredevil in some of the movies, but, but this is daredevil, his story. Yeah. Daredevil is a character needs the serialized format yes. of a TV show that has a long number of episodes to be able to tell that story. I think that's right. Yeah, so do we know if the show... So uh, when Daredevil got canceled by Netflix, it took the showrunners by surprise. They were planning, mm -hmm. fully planning a fourth season. So what I, what I want to know, my question is, 
Are they bringing that plan in, and are they bringing those showrunners mm. in? Are we getting what would have been our fourth season? I want to know because, that too. Because if we are, then I think the tone is going to be what you want it to be, Van. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Daredevil was excellent. In fact, it was the only uh, Netflix show that I genuinely loved. So um, I I hope that that that's what we're going to get. Now, for yeah. those that don't know, Born Again is a highly regarded story arc that was written by Frank Miller. His return to the title after his his big run was over. He came back as the writer only, mm. and it's a story where I mean it's okay to spoil it, right? We're spoiling a comic book. Yeah, it's a comic book. We don't know what they're doing with the TV, right? Yeah. yeah, we don't know what the show's going to be. But this in the comic books, Wilson Fisk learns that he's Matt Murdock, exposes it, and proceeds to uh, destroy his life. And mm. in the process, I think we do learn some more about. This is where we learn more about Matt's mother. Um, but it's basically just tearing Matt down as a person kind of psychologically and then seeing him put the pieces back together and build back up. So it's, uh, it's one of the all time great, uh, and all time favorite daredevil stories. So in the right hands, this could be absolutely amazing. The, the weird thing though, is they did almost all of the major plot points and story beats from born again in season three of the Netflix show. Yeah. And so it's, it's weird. Like when I saw that that's what they were calling this new show, I thought to myself, well, are they just going to retread that and expect that those of us who are really hardcore fans are just going to ignore the fact that they did that (laughs) already? Or are they going to do a different take on it? Or like, I think a lot of it has to do with how we're supposed to, how how they're bringing Daredevil into the MCU? Right. Like, is it the is it Netflix continuity or is it a new right? Character? Yeah. Well, and is Foggy coming? Because I need Foggy back. Yeah, I know that. Surely, <laughs> surely they'll bring over some of the supporting cast because it's so good. Um, I was always the one that liked Iron Fist, but nobody else did. Um, all right, we got to get through these. Captain America: New World Order. I think we just don't know anything about it yet, other than Sam. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Can we can we zip along then? We'll just say we're looking forward to well, Sam. I mean, I would think any of the loose threads from uh, from the TV show. So we'll yeah. probably see Sharon Carter as as the whatever whatever her name was in Magipore. Oh, yeah, like as the undercover like bad guy. That was weird. And um, and some more U.S. agent stuff. So I think hopefully just some more Zemo. I want more Zemo. I love me some we'll Zemo. Well, we'll, that's what we'll I was going to say. Is yeah, if there's anything that is going to set the table for what's going to close phase right. five right. Yeah. is the Captain America movie. Yes. Yeah. That's fair. If there's any pieces to move, that's where it will happen. Um, and I am looking forward to it because I really like Sam and I really like the um, the character. I like the actor. I like the idea of him being Captain America. Everything about it sounds great. And hopefully we'll have more Winter Soldier in it too. Man, he'll have been in a lot of movies. Um, Thunderbolt, summer of 2024, Whoa. July 26th. I'm so excited. But here's the thing. We don't know which Thunderbolts we're getting because there's really three different Thunderbolts over the course of Marvel history. And people were reacting online that, that it was going to be basically Marvel's version of the Suicide Squad. And I'm like, I would rather have Marvel's version of the Thunderbolts where we had the big the villains pretending to be heroes. There was a great... I, I, Kurt Busick had a great tweet yesterday where he he pointed out that when the comic book first came out, he said, I covered up for what it was, you know, very well. He said, I 
I, people were asking, who is Citizen V? And Kurt, this is what Kurt said. He said, I said, um, I said the original Citizen V um, fought Baron Zemo back in the day, and this is his descendant. And Kurt's like, I didn't say whose descendant. <laughs> I'm like, oh, look at you. Slick, slick. All right, so thoughts on Thunderbolts, Jim? So I was so excited when I saw this. Not because we, you know, like you said, we don't know what Thunderbolts we're going to get. No. But we do know some of the pieces. Like, we know the chess pieces that are going to be involved with this. Because, we, you know, we have to assume that this is what the the Contessa, that Julia Louis-Dreyfus was introduced in Falcon and the Winter Soldier to to do. Like, she's yeah. putting together the Thunderbolts team, right? Presumably, um, yes. Because she's going after all of these morally ambiguous <laughs> characters. Because they're not, they're not really villains. They're just... The thing that I like is, I mean, even in the case of Daniel Bruhl playing Zemo, mm-hmm. like, he was a villain in Civil War in as much as he was trying to get revenge on Tony Stark and destroy the Avengers, which he pretty much did. Like, he's one of the few yeah. villainous characters in the MCU who succeeded in his goal. But between John Walker, you Yelena. know, Yelena Belova coming in as, as a new Black Widow, mm-hmm. um, having Zemo, you know, there, there's talk of the abomination because he's going to be in She-Hulk. Taskmaster. Um, you know, you're you're going to have this collection Ghost. of yeah. highly morally ambiguous characters who the difference between these people and the Suicide Squad is, especially in the movie version of the Suicide Squad, there were clearly characters in that group who had higher morals and wanted to be good guys and they were just stuck in bad situations and were and were villains. Like they were trying to be better, better people. And, you know, especially like in the first one, when they bring in Deadshot and then introduce that Will Smith's character has a kid and that's why he's doing the things he's doing. I mean, yes, he's this lethal assassin, but he loves his daughter. So he's a good guy. And with the Thunderbolts, we don't know what Julia Louis Dreyfus's character's motivations are or what her schemes and blackmail and all the things that she's doing are leading to. We don't know where Zemo's coming from ever. Like, even in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, like, he was helping out Sam and Bucky a lot, but he also had his own agenda. And I like the fact that Thunderbolts is going to give us a group of people and we're not going to know who to trust out of any of these people. Like there's not going to be a clear cut agenda for any of them. Mm. I mean, even characters that we like and right. and we enjoy watching on screen, we're, we're not going to know what side of the fence they're on most and, of the time. And who's going to be the villain if it's not. So, him. so in the case of John Walker and Yelena, and Emil Bronsky, okay? Mm-hmm. So let's remember the MCU version of the Abomination. What was he before he turned into a monster? He was a soldier. So mm-hmm. in all three cases, you have characters that maybe they're not your classic do-gooder superhero, 
but they are military assets, right? They're used to taking orders and doing what the government wants them to do. And so they could be acting in a heroic capacity in best interest of the nation, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be like, you know, super good role models. So I think, uh, I, I, so I think that's, uh, that's important because, you know, they're going to be recruited by the government for a government sponsored team. So you're going to have like a little bit of a twisted version of the Avengers. Uh, now, in the comics and Van, what you're talking about in the comics, we had this entire new this team of entirely new heroes debut as a team. And at a time when the Avengers were not a part of the mainstream universe. And it's like, I don't know who these characters are, but OK. And then one of the great reading experiences of our lives, you turn to the final page of issue number one and it, they succeeded in yeah. pulling it off and stunning all of us is that this this team of new heroes was actually a team of old villains that were in disguise and they were going to trick the public into trusting them. And now at the end of issue one, the readers are in on it. So that was cool, but I don't think that's what we're getting here. I think it's yeah. clear that uh, what we're seeing is Julia Louise Dreyfus as the Contessa going around and recruiting her team of so-called dark Avengers or just say government sponsored super team, which, you know, they're like going the to do boys. what the government wants them to do. And that does not necessarily make them good guys. <laughs> no, they're going to be more like the boys. And, and like you pointed out when the, the comic Thunderbolts came on the scene, it was during that period where, Oh, we didn't smart. have the Fantastic Four and we didn't have the Avengers because they That's were right. off doing Heroes Reborn. So it made sense that Marvel was coming out with this new superhero team that was specifically put together. Like we were told in the press and promotional materials, like this team is replacing the Avengers. Like they are going to be the new Marvel Universe version of the Avengers. And it's much like that in the MCU now, right? Because we don't have an Avengers That's right. like there's the, the Avengers don't exist in the MCU at this point, you know, everybody's off doing their own thing. So to have a team come in and to the public, mm -hmm. to the world at large yep. seem like they are the Avengers replacements and they are the good guys and they're going to save the world mm -hmm. from the next alien threat or invasion or whatever. And to find out through the story that, Hey, we know these guys are not good guys. I, I think that's how you differentiate them from the Suicide Squad. If you even if if you do do the Suicide Squad type story, is is what you just said, Jim. I think you bring them out, the press, photographs, you know, paparazzi, mm -hmm. the new team, you know, and you have them being like this public face again, much more like the boys than like the Suicide Squad. You know, you have this public face of them, and then behind the scenes, they're like, nah, you know, but you show this face. I think that is the way to go. All right. We get the, Real quick, though, go ahead. I, I got to say this. Go ahead. The reason they're called the Thunderbolts, I hope, and I trust, that they're going to be called the Thunderbolts out of honor, out of honoring the memory of General oh. Thunderbolt Ross. Thunderbolt Ross, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and so here's my question. Are the Sokovia Accords still in play like do they still need to be enforced Who knows? because that would be what thunderbolt ross was all about would yeah be enforcing the Gobi yeah. Accords. so could the thunderbolts be put together to go after the traditional heroes because they're breaking the accords they even I, first I appeared in the hulk so that kind of makes sense yeah they first appeared the hulk as heroes before they got their own series and became yeah i i do expect u.s agent the new black widow and um the abomination to be on the team uh there's also a chance i think we could see taskmaster yeah, I see and 
and um, maybe even Hercules. You know, if you're looking yeah. to do analogs to the original team, sure. And if they're going to play Hercules like Ares, <laughs> it would be great to have him. As, and as Ares little... was a part of the Dark Avengers storyline. So yeah, I think there's something like that. that would be good. All right, so think about this: 2024 begins with Daredevil: Born Again and then Captain America, New World Order, and then Thunderbolts, and then it goes into Phase 6, and the year ends with the Fantastic Four as we begin Phase 6. We are finally, finally getting an MCU Fantastic Four. I was never a huge Fantastic Four fan, but I read it relatively faithfully. I appreciate it for what it was. They were they guest starred in everything, so you couldn't get away from them when we were kids. You know, regardless if you didn't want to, you didn't have to buy the Fantastic Four comic. You're going to get them in everything from Shogun Warriors to, you know, whatever Hulk, Spider Man. So they're always they're in everything. So I'm very excited because I trust that this crowd can finally get it right. David, do we have a reason that we shouldn't think that? No, there's no reason. Not to. I mean, Marvel has earned our trust, and for the first time, Marvel is in charge yes. of presenting us the Fantastic Four. Um, so Wish Stan could have lived I, to see it, by the way. I know it. Um, the one thing I want is I want the classic Doctor Doom. I want the suit of armor. I want the castle. I want the medieval village trapped, you know, in the old times with the later hosen. Uh, give me, just don't be afraid to go there. No, for Doctor Doom. Don't be afraid, baby. That's it. <laughs> go there. Yes. Jim. Um, the concept is simple, right? It's, it's a family. Yeah, it's it's kind of each represent the four elements. They are explorers. They're kind of like a throwback to the Challengers of the Unknown type of 50s sci-fi. Couldn't uh, they, be simpler. And they keep trying to overdo yeah. the simple. Yep. And this should be a movie where we get a lot of multiverse rules, if we still need rules at that point. I mean, I think a lot. This is going to frame what happens cosmically with the uh, with the two Avenger movies that are coming up. It's a family. It's the, it's the friend from work and it's the crazy uncle. <laughs> it can't be any simpler than that. Jim, fantastic four. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny cause I've thought the last couple of days about the fantastic four being in the MCU. And, you know, we, we all have some level of disappointment over every other attempt that's been made to put the Fantastic Four on the big screen. And like you said, I mean, it's so simple. And I, you know, looking at, especially the two big budget versions that, Mm -hmm. you know, we all thought were going to work and just didn't. I mean, the cast was okay. The, The effects, they had a budget. You know, the story was what we would hope a Fantastic Four story would be. It just, for some reason, it was like, they had all of the individual ingredients. They just couldn't mix it into a cake that we all liked. Mm. And that's kind of what I'm wondering is, is it maybe too simple that people overthink it too much? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's not hard to do a really good Superman story, but when you try and make him relevant to a, a modern audience, that's when you start to muck it up. Like, it, it's already relevant to a modern audience because like you said, the, the four elements of the team, everybody has experience with that. They have experience dealing with family. They have experience dealing with friends and coworkers that 
they don't always get along with. And they've got experience coming together as a group and, and achieving a goal. And that's what the Fantastic Four is. And the thing that, you know, we've talked about this over the years, like how do they integrate these characters and this concept into the MCU? Like, are they going to be new heroes in the present timeline or are they going to use the multi-universe concept to have the Fantastic Four existing in their own time frame, in their own dimension, so that we get a period 60s version of the Fantastic Four, <laughs> which the story makes more sense back then. It does. And, and we've talked in the past about how that's a period of the MCU history that's never really been touched right. on too much. That's right. And so I've always felt like, even though they kind of shot this idea with the Wasp in the last Ant-Man and the Wasp movie, like they needed to have the Fantastic Four, the first one, be a period piece, mm -hmm. just like they did with Captain America, Yeah. Mm -hmm. except have the Fantastic Four be in the space race in the 60s. Mm -hmm. They get their powers. They have an adventure in the 60s. Right. They go to explore... The negative, negative zone, zone and disappear and get stuck. Right. Quantum quantum and they, negative they zone is a quantum realm. Years yes. and nobody knows where they're at. Yes. And then and now, you know, when when you've got them exploring the quantum realm, <clears throat> it gives them an opportunity to find the Fantastic Four and bring them to the present day. And and, and bring with them a nihilist blast star and the super adaptoid. Yes. Right. So <laughs> You know, but they did that with the Wasp already. So I feel like if they do it with the Fantastic Four, it's yeah. going to be you know treading similar ground. But with a multiverse, mm -hmm. they can do the period piece Fantastic Four movie. They can introduce them in the '60s, and then they can have the Fantastic Four properly join the MCU when they do the crazy Secret Wars and integrate all of these things into one cohesive universe. So I think we could get our cake and eat it too. Yeah. I'm just afraid that they might mess it up. If the Fantastic Four movie opens and it says like 1961 or 1962, I'm going to stand up in the theater and go, yes! And then, you know, <laughs> and if it opens and it's just like present day, I'm going to be like, okay, show me what you got. Um, I do hope they'll hold Galactus back for some Fantastic Four sequels. Yes. And I suspect we might get a little Rama Tut uh, in the movie. Yes. he is an incarnation of Kang. Bingo. Rama Tut. I, I, I got a 90% possibility, probability, that we'll get Rama Tut. Rama Lumba Ding Dong. All right. In our remaining time, as much as ever as it is, we're going to talk about these two Avengers movies. We've got the Kang Dynasty in May. Secret Wars in November 1st. Doing two Avengers movies within six months yes. of each other. What yes. the heck? I mean, Infinity War and Endgame was like a year, and that seemed yeah. quick because we grew up with three years between Star Wars movies. So, uh, David, again, first, Avengers movies, is it too much? What do you, where, where are your thought? Where are your, where's your head right now on these two Avengers movies? Well, first of all, the idea of two Avenger movies in one calendar year blows me away. I mean, I'm excited about it. Could it be a case of oversaturation, like the way they do with Rogue One and Solo? I mean, maybe, but um, they, they'd really have to drop the ball 
in, in a way that they haven't done yet with right. the Marvel movies. Um, so I'm excited. The way I take these is that this is basically part one and part two. It's going to be the same story. Like um, they initially called it Infinity War part one and part mm -hmm. two, and then they That's gave right. them each their own subtitles. This is absolutely going to be uh, one story here. You got the beginning and the end. So um, I think it's going to be awesome. The Kang Dynasty and the Secret Wars. What do those names imply for comic book fans? Well, it implies a large cast. Yeah. It implies multiple versions of different characters. Uh, to me, it implies a massive cosmic power grab, successful attempt at power by Dr. Doom. Like he's going to power up and yeah. level up to a mind blowing degree and probably have some tragic failure at the end, but it's, he's going to be, that would be he's cool. gonna, I suspect Dr. Doom to be a big part of this, <sighs> but um, this could be, I, I know you've got your own theories of, of what this can more, more resemble other than these titles we're working with. And I'll let you go into it. But I think you're exactly right. I think it's an opportunity. We're playing with, Time travel, we're playing with multiverses. Uh, anything's on the table, including bring, being, bringing back actors whose characters have already died on screen. If we want them back for one more movie, this is a chance to do this that. This is the chance. And it's also, like I said before, it's a chance to recast some of these characters at the end of all this, if that's the direction that they want to go in. But uh, my expectations for these two movies is off the scale. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't see this coming. I said... Feige said, Kevin Feige said there won't be any more Avengers movies after Endgame. And I took the man at his word. And so when and then so that that was why when they said Kang, you know, Kang's in Loki and then he's gonna be an Ant-Man, I'm like, oh man, it sucks that they're bringing Kang along when there's not gonna be any more Avengers movies. So when they rolled out on Twitter, you go look at my Twitter feed, when they and I was what I was tweeting, when they rolled out Avengers the Kang Dynasty, I was like, what? <laughs> I about blew my top of my head off. I couldn't believe it. Jim, is Kang and Doctor Doom in the same two movies? Is that too much to ask for? Is that too much? What do you think? I, you know, I don't know because I don't know what they're going to do with Doctor Doom right. at all. I mean, we we keep hearing rumors. We didn't even talk about it when we were talking about Wakanda Forever. That the the big rumor is that that's how they're going to introduce Doctor Doom into the MCU. That he's going to be the puppet master behind Ooh. this whole war between Wakanda and good. the Atlanteans. That's good. And the kingpin you know, of the, the rest of the He's using Marvel. that to kind of make Latveria a little bit more powerful oh. in that part of the world. God, I hope now you totally got my, makes sense. Raising my hopes uh, here, man. So, and so what, what did Victor Von Doom, T'Challa, and Namor have in common? They're monarchs and they're yeah. heads yeah. of state. That's right. Yeah. So... You know, and then you have to wonder how they're going to use him in the Fantastic Four if they do. Surely, and and then we get back to how do you get to that Avengers movie? Like you're you're building Kang up as as the next Thanos level threat that is going to bring all of these heroes together to fight him, um, and it has to be something. And this is going to be post Thunderbolts, so you're mm -hmm. going to have all of these replacement Avengers. I mean, you know, you're talking. I mean, Thor's still around, but you're talking about Sam being Captain America. You're talking about, you know, do we get Captain Marvel as a legitimate part of an Avengers team? You know, versus her just making a cameo appearance in the final battle. Um, you know, is 
is Doctor Strange going to be around for that? Is, there's going to be a new Black Panther. Like, there's all of these characters that can be a part of an Avengers team that are floating around the MCU right now. Um, and the added element of time travel and multi-universes gives you the ability, like you've said, you know, the last couple of days online, to do an Avengers Forever type story Yeah, where you're bringing in all of these different Avengers from different eras, you know, we still have Hawkeye around. We've, you know, you could see a daredevil in the, the mix of this. Mm-hmm. We don't know what Tom Holland's doing with Spider-Man moving forward, which I assume is going to be one of the big announcements that they make at D 23 to fill some of those phase six holes that they've still got on the schedule. But, you know, we're going to have this big Kang movie and honestly i think the kang movie is just to set up secret wars sure i mean that's that's the big money play because that's the end game of of this series of movies it's this secret wars is the movie that you're going to have everybody in right versus the kang dynasty which is it's going to have a lot of people in it and there's going to be a lot of story to turn through in that movie but it's just setting the table for every team in the Marvel universe to converge in secret wars. <laughs> and I, I know that the whole reason they're doing it is they want to top the, the moments that we got an end game. Yeah. Like there's, there's that final battle, which is amazing to me and all of the little moments that you have in that final battle of characters showing up and interacting with each other and, and fighting characters with each other. And, you know, there's just so many cool moments of that. And, you know, like you guys both have pointed out, I mean, it gives an opportunity for us to get a glimpse of, you know, if they decide to pay Robert Downey Jr. a boatload of money and Chris (laughs) Evans a boatload of money to come and fill film, like a a cameo scene. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To where you can have Tony Stark and Steve Rogers in a battle together again one last time. Yep. And, you know, that's going to be a cool moment if they do it. Um, you know, I also know that there's a lot of stuff that they could do that would just be pandering to the audience, and I don't want them to do that. So, you know, hopefully they can figure out the path to do this the right way, but... It will have been so, six years by then since they died. So just for whatever it's worth. Right now, it's only been three. And when you say that, I'm like, I don't really want them back that soon. But six no, years. No, and is I don't even want them back for this. I just right. know that. But they could. You know, it's possible. They if they're going to do it, this is the one opportunity yeah, that they'll have to right, do it. For sure. So, I mean, of course, you know, just based on how the structure of the story is going to go, we can kind of expect that Kang will, just like Infinity War with Thanos. Kang Dynasty is probably going to end with Kang winning, right, or having won. Uh, he's the. It's when the good guys are going to be at their lowest point, right, and we got to come together in Secret Wars to save the universe. But uh, a couple of things to keep in mind about the movie called Kang Dynasty: Kurt Busiek wrote a pair of excellent Kang stories, one of which was called the Kang Dynasty. Yep. And in that story, Kang successfully conquers the planet earth and he's in control of all the governments and all the countries all over the place. It, it, he has won the whole planet 
Uh, the other thing, the other story you alluded to, Avengers Forever, is also by Kurt Busiek. It's also a Kang story. And in that Kang story, it's a team of Avengers that are plucked from different parts of the timeline, the entire timeline. Characters from the now, characters from the very beginning, earliest days. You might get a young Hank or a young Janet, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's also pulling from the future. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's also very, it's, it's very interesting because what have we seen? We've seen, we all know we've seen the breadcrumbs and the hints that we could also logically arrive at the young Avengers, right? We've right. seen the characters that are going to be the next generation. They might not fully get their time in the spotlight till phase seven, eight, or nine. But if you know you're going there and you can pull characters from the future to fight Kang and the Kang dynasty, mm-hmm. that might be an opportunity like a flash flash forward to get a glimpse of like Eli Bradley as the Patriot or something like that. That's so true. I think that could be very cool. Right. So, you know, and the, the other thing that, that we haven't even touched on is the, the cool thing about secret wars is if, if they do it like the more recent secret war series that Jonathan Hickman wrote and less like the original series that we all love, where it's the, the planet that they're on is cobbled together from remnants of all these different, you know, universes that have kind of had incursions on each other. And that's the only way they could kind of save the multiverse. If they do that, then that sets up the stage for them to have a section of the world that is from the X-Men universe. And (laughs) that's how we introduce the X-Men into the big Secret Wars movie and set the stage for them having their own movie in Phase 7. Because, you know, everybody said, well, they mentioned the Fantastic Four, but they didn't mention the X-Men. Why didn't they mention the X-Men? Yeah, I, I do. think it's because they they want to bring mutants in and in one big chunk and they have to do it when the universe gets reintegrated. Yeah, that's phase seven, I think. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think it makes sense to use Secret Wars to bring in the X-Men at that moment. Just take things to another level. But we have a lot of empty dates in phase six that still need to be filled. My, my real suspicion is that we're going to get the X-Men introduced before these movies and, uh, and they'll end up playing some unforeseen part now that we, we can't begin to guess at. Um, so we could, there you go. I mean, they've made a big deal. I mean, I know you Van said that you haven't watched Ms. Marvel yet. I mean, I'm about four episodes into it and I know at the end of it that they've mentioned that she's a mutant, that that's where her power comes okay. from is that they've kind of checked her DNA and she she has this mutant gene. So they've already set the stage for mutants being in the MCU okay. through this show. And, you know, I think we're just going to see, you know, them kind of widen the door a little bit to bring the X-Men in. Well, the only other thing we had to, to, we, if we can, if we have any thoughts on is there are five animated properties. I am Groot. Cool. Excited to see that. Spider-Man yeah. freshman year. I have no idea. Um, what if season two and season three in production? I The what if show did less than nothing for me. That to me was the least interesting of any Marvel show I've seen so far. And then X-Men 97 and Marvel so Zombies. Huh? 
I am so excited for that. Yeah, I gotta admit, out of other than I am Groot, I'm excited for I am Groot just because it looks cool. But out of all those, the one that really has my attention is X Men '97 because it's basically going back and doing like another show like the one back in the day, right? Although I would have thought that was more like '87 than '97, but okay, whatever. No, it was. It started in the mid '90s. Okay, that Fox show was, and I mean, it had a good run, and so I mean, this show. X-Men 97 is take, I mean, it's basically picking up the storyline where they left off. And one of the reasons why I think a lot of us liked that X-Men show when it originally aired was they did such a good job of adapting the comic storylines and doing long form storytelling. And it was very serialized and, you know, it wasn't like, every other animated show of the day, which was more episodic. Like they took their time telling stories on that X-Men show and it ended around the, the storyline ended on the animated series with Xavier going with the Shi'ar and basically leaving earth. And so he left the school in Magneto's hands which is exactly where the story was around X-Men 200. Yeah. And that was like right in my wheelhouse of when I was a huge X-Men fan. And so this, this series is picking up with the fallout of that, of how does Magneto step into Xavier's shoes and be the headmaster of the school and lead the X-Men the way Xavier did. And I, I loved that storyline in the comics and I can't wait to see them do it on the animated show. And and my understanding is that they've gotten virtually all of the voice cast to come back from oh, the original wow. show. Wow. And yeah, I mean it's it's a good idea. To, to show how much of a big deal that X-Men animated show is, they a couple of times when they've hinted at the X-Men in the MCU, they've used the animated show theme mm-hmm. in the background. I mean, they did it in the Doctor Strange movie. I know they did it in Ms. Marvel when they were talking about her being a mutant. I mean, they play that X-Men theme in the background just as kind of like a sting to enhance the fact that, hey, we're talking about X-Men here, guys. Hmm. Well, let's keep in mind, you know, we're a little bit too old to fully appreciate this, but that animated series was so massive in bringing in an entire new generation of fans into comics um, there, there's a, there's a group of kids 10 years younger than us, right? No longer kids, but there's a group 10 years younger than us that yeah. that was their gateway. That's what got mm-hmm. them in. And it was the, to a large degree with all of the foundational work that Claremont did in the seventies and eighties to a large degree, it was the success and popularity of that animated show that made the 2000 X-Men movie a success. And without yeah. that movie succeeding, who knows if we ever get the MCU? So it's a, it's it's a cool little like completion of the circle to be able to pick this back up and continue it. That's cool. All right. Well, we are out of time, but I think we've pretty much covered everything we were going to cover. So, gentlemen, I appreciate it. Once again, we have solved all the mysteries and answered all the questions outstanding on the MCU for the next couple, three years. So I guess we'll reconvene the next time we need to look back at something or look forward to something. Uh, Jim and Dave, uh, thank you guys so much. Up in civil.
This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.